you all for, for sticking with this and putting up with me. Uh, this has been a wonderful study. And uh, I've got a little bit with the, the particular book and what we're doing and how we're doing it. I'll share with that after we open in prayer on what's going on so that we can uh, understand what is going on in the world into which Paul is writing. It helps clarify it immensely. Uh, and there are other things that just help us understand. So let me open in prayer and we'll get started. Father, once again, thank you for this opportunity where we come together, we open up your word that you breathed life into. You breathed out these words. And every one of them are there for your purpose and for our benefit. And so where things may be difficult because the culture is so different, Father, we just ask that you help us understand and apply. And in all cases, for those who may be hostile to the message of your word, help us with all gentleness and love. Just have a conversation with them and help them understand. It would point them to you. Father, we thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. You may recall that um, it said that uh, a couple of different letters had gone to Paul, an early one, we don't have that recorded, and we do not have recorded exactly what Paul said. Another letter came to him from the house of Chloe. We do not know the content of that letter, but from the culture and what Paul is saying, we can sort of reverse engineer what was being asked. And, uh, and since the culture, in a, in, a, in a sense, was different, the European culture there around 55 A.D., uh, it's different than Burnham in 2019. There are differences, but there are so many parallels because sin is sin. Uh, the, the human heart, unredeemed, is, is, is terrible, okay? It, it just is. That's, that's the world we live in, and it's because of Christ that our heart can be redeemed, but yet redeemed, you and I, daily struggle with sin, um, every time I do a baptism, I have two, the end of this month, two young boys, and no, I'm sorry, young boy and a young girl, and I tell them that after you're baptized, I need you to realize you are going to sin, because I don't want them getting baptized and thinking that their life is going to be perfect. I want them to understand reality. So um, life today is still similar to them, but the culture was very different. And in 1 Timothy, which Tim launched out in, and when we get into some stuff in chapter 2, we want to look at that stuff through the lens of 2019 and think that the American culture is all that there is, and we don't understand what was going on there, and the letter was written. So we're going to get into some things today that, like the first part of chapter 7, could seem controversial but if we understand the culture and what Paul's writing into, we understand the context of what he's saying, and then we can apply it into our lives today. There will be a couple of parts in here that are very difficult to translate. They could be translated a couple of different ways. I will show that. But regardless of how you translate them, the end result is still the same. So I just want to point that out. So uh, from uh, the, the review of chapter 7, remember... There were two extreme positions within the church, and they believed that falsely that you could separate the physical from the spiritual and that there was no uh, tie between the two, and that certainly is not the case. And one group claimed that, you could, that sin only had to do with the physical body and that you could sin in the physical body and it not affect the spiritual realm. And then there was another group that believed that... Uh, um, all things spiritual are good, but what is physical is bad, and that, that all practically all forms of pleasure are not appropriate or wrong. And I would say that for me, I had a false assumption that Christians never had fun, and that when you couldn't do these things that were fun, and I'm thinking, you know, I would see these folks that I really looked up to and they were Christian and they went to church and I go, are you really supposed to be doing that? And it was very benign. Okay, they were having fun. They were having pleasure. They were laughing. And can you do all that? See, I had the false assumption that you couldn't have fun when you was a Christian, okay? So 
I struggled a little bit with, with coming into this right here that physical desire of any kind was, was bad. I thought you had to be the sour saint to be real, and, and that's not the case. And, uh, and so there was a misunderstanding then, and there was in many cases today. And again, people married at a very young age. Sometimes marriages were arranged at a very young age. Uh, we can't look down on that. It was a very different culture there. If you didn't live in that culture, don't judge it, okay? Um, a lot of it had to do with the economy. Family economy was very important. We don't have the social structures that we do today. And arranged marriages were, were vital, if you've studied it, were vital for family uh, lineage and carrying on. And so they would marry at a young age. They didn't have emergency rooms like we do today. And so people sometimes died at a very young age. And so you would have a marrying and uh, uh, there would be a death and a remarrying. You may have a young lady who was on her second marriage at 17 because her first husband passed away. This was not uncommon. And so the church is trying to make, how do we, how do we make sense of this? How do we engage in this? And in that culture, you could have a no-fault divorce on the spur of the moment. They didn't uh, have a high view of marriage. And uh, if for some reason you were divorced or your spouse died, you were expected to marry very soon. If you had children, if you were a woman, and you your husband passed away and you had a child, Roman law, and I don't want to get too deep into this, and this more or less mandated that you were married within six months because it dealt with the social structure. There were not the, the, the charitable social structures in the government then that we have now. So that necessitated that. So when we look at the culture and we look at the text, well, why did they do that then? It's the culture in which they lived. And, of course, then as today... Sexual promiscuity is rampant. It was more in your face there in some cases. And uh, there would be cult prostitution. And as really in that culture, they elevated the man and, um, oh, he's just sowing his wild oats, and that was okay. But a woman would, look, would be looked down upon, and Paul comes in and levels the... Paul is radical he is very countercultural in what he's saying. So when you look at it, realize that Paul is greatly elevating the, the status of, of women in this text. So from last week, I want to emphasize that singleness and marriage are honored. doesn't matter. You're not less of a Christian because you're single, and you're not more of a Christian because you're married, or vice versa. You serve God as you are, but... Paul continues to say, while you are single, there is the opportunity to devote more of your time to Him. Not that you are more holy, okay? It's not that at all. You just have the opportunity. But in that sex-charged culture, um, if, if singleness was not uh, in your best interest, marriage is honorable. Go ahead and get married. It is okay. But we see that we need to be married in the Lord. In other words, the Lord needs to be um, in our, our marriage. And then in marriage, um, there is to be the otherness. In other words, you are to look after your spouse. Your spouse comes first. If the husband will look after the needs of the wife and the wife looks after the needs of the husband, when we have that otherness, it works out as it's supposed to. You look out for the needs of your spouse and whatever those are. Um, uh, you look out for that. And uh, if you have a spouse that's saved um, and they will stay with you, let them. If they won't, let them leave. Because we're, we're called to be people of peace, not people of, of, of revelry or fighting. And so if they refuse to stay in the marriage, you let them leave. If they abandon the marriage, um, I believe I could make the argument that they abandon the covenant of marriage and then that spouse could remarry. Um, and then if you're saved, you don't have to change jobs if it's a neutral job. If I made the example, if you're making tires for Goodyear, there's nothing immoral about that, okay? 
um, you could be working in an occupation that is immoral, and then you are going to need to change jobs, okay, because now you're representing Christ. And I didn't have this in there last week, but I do this week as I want to get into this. On the bottom line there, I added that. And all, one of the things we need to realize, the reason Paul is emphasizing that that he wishes that people were like he was, in other words, that they were single so that they could devote themselves fully to the Lord. See, Paul had the idea that the Lord was going to return very, very soon. He And he had believed that any day now the Lord is going to be returning. Okay, so in his he's not he's not incorrect in what he's teaching. He's teaching says, "Hey, I'm preparing for the Lord to come back at any minute," which is how we all need to need to live. So, in all of his instructions, realize that he is thinking that Christ could possibly return very soon, and so that's why he's saying the things that he's saying. Uh, which is not incorrect. We should all live as if he's going to return tomorrow. Okay? Uh, but so we want to see that. And since the chapter was 40 verses, there was so much, I wanted to break it apart. But before I get there, before I go into 21, I want to go back to verse 17. And I'll read that if you don't have it uh, in your Bible. Um, I'm going to read 17 through 20 before we get into 21 through 24 because it sets up. Okay, so in verse 17 of chapter 7, it says, Only as the Lord has, a, has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk, him or her, and so I direct in all the churches. Was any man or woman called when he was already circumcised? He was not to become uncircumcised. And I talked about that last week. People were trying to change who they were because they came to Christ to fit in. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Verse 19, and then circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. What matters is the keeping of the commandments of God and then each man must remain in the condition that he was, which he was called. So what, what he's saying is, is that the sign of the old covenant, the sign of the old covenant is no longer applicable. It's been fulfilled in Christ. Okay, so so circumcision does nothing for you. It, it means nothing in the Old Testament sense because Christ fulfilled that. And so what Paul is saying, it's not so much the external, it's what's in your heart is what's most important. So where we stay where we are, that sets us up for verses 21 through 24. And then while you were, while you were, were you, I'm sorry, were you called while a slave? Now in that culture... You might have three forms of slavery. It was not like it was in this country in the 18th century. You would have those that had ran up, I can put it like this, you had people that ran up exorbitant credit card debt and they couldn't pay it back. Well, in that culture, you could be a slave to pay it off. Or you would be those that, uh, for whatever reason, you may have been born a slave or you're a slave for whatever reason. And the third one, would be that you chose to be a slave. It would be a bond slave. You willfully chose to be uh, in this individual's family. It's kind of like when I, I taught through uh, Philemon and Onesimus, okay? When Onesimus went back to Philemon at the end, he chose, that was a choice that he made. So when we see this where you called while a slave, I want to emphasize this, this is not indentured slavery only that we're talking about here. So it says, do not worry about it. But if you are, are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. We covered that last week. Uh, do not, I'm sorry, two weeks ago. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one of you is to remain with God in the condition in which he was called. So, when, when an individual was a slave and then he came to Christ, what Paul is saying is, is they don't say just because now that you're Christ, rebel and go around demanding your rights. Do Christians, are Christians supposed to go around and start demanding their rights? No, they're to have a humble heart. 
They're to submit to the leadership that God has placed over them. The authority structures, the legitimate authority structures that are there, submit to that. And when Tim was preaching through First uh, Peter, we submit to them, but we don't align ourselves with them. This lines right up with First Peter in that regard. So we don't go around demanding our, our Christian rights in, in that sense. So if you were a slave, represent Christ in that situation because somehow or another, if you were a slave and you came to Christ, there's probably a lot of people beside you that don't know Jesus. And if you come to Christ and start demanding your rights, what example do they see? They see a rebellious person. So look at where you are and represent Christ there. Um, and then if you are released, then then that's okay. Uh, you don't have to fight for that release. But if you can become free ethically without rebelling, Onesimus in the book of Philemon fled. That was a, that was a felony offense, okay? So he's saying don't uh, commit a felony offense, do so. And wherever it is that you are, continue to serve him. And if you are a slave, you've been freed from sin. And if you're free, guess what? You think you're free. Who, who purchased you? Christ. Who owns all of you? Christ. Who owns the can of Campbell's chicken noodle soup in your pantry? Christ. Who owns your bank account? It's not you. Because if the moment that you say that is mine, you're rebelling against God. You're flat broke, don't own a thing. We're beggars telling other beggars where to find bread, and the bread's at the cross. So wherever it is that we are, we serve Christ in whatever capacity we can. So I got ahead of myself. So he owns us. We're owned by the purchasers. And, uh, you know, I've had to buy some expensive things, braces for my kids. I'm going through that. I need some prayer. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, okay, but the price that Jesus paid for your sin he was mocked. He was God. He came down, born in humble circumstances, um, and never did anything wrong. He was mocked. His beard was pulled. He was beat. He was whipped. His flesh was ripped open. They nailed him to lumber. They made fun of him. There's nothing anybody could do. He died right there. He willfully did that. He purchased you. Since he did that, he owned you. And so... If we are Christ's bond slave, in other words, I choose, I asked him to take me. Therefore, I bond slave myself to him. And since that is the case, I do not sell myself out to. Or in the Old Testament, you would see the terminology that, that God would say that, that the people of Israel would prostitute themselves or whore after the other gods. Those are God's languages. Don't go after the other gods. Well, the same thing is applicable here. Don't lust after the things of the world, which would be a... Uh, now, everybody works for a paycheck, okay? You work, you can wait for a paycheck, okay? But that shouldn't be the prime motive in your life, okay? And then uh, fame, power, recognition, worldly significance, and all that other stuff. That should not be what drives us. What should drive us is our relationship with Christ and moving closer to Christ, and so wherever it was that you were, stay there. And uh, those that are around you, share Christ with them. But at no point can we take matters into our own hand because we're not in charge. We have a new CEO, and his name is Jesus. And we uh, are in allegiance to him. Because the moment that you start taking matters into your own hand, you take your hands out of his hands. That's not a good place to be. Don't, don't do that. Okay, it's not, not good. So where you are, stay. Now, if you are coming to Christ and you, and let's say for whatever reason, I, I know that we work in some of these places and you hear some of the absolute most ungodly language that's going on and you see some of this, this stuff that's going on, okay, the, the first response is to want to punt and get out of there, okay? But perhaps God was able to reach you in that environment and now there is somebody on the inside, if you will. God finally has an ambassador on the inside of that organization. Look at where he may be at work, trying to work through you, 
to reach those other people. Well, as soon as you come to Christ and you say, I'm at the tire factory and I don't like the language that's going on, I'm getting out of here. Well, guess what? Your Shangri-La is not on the other side of the street. You're going to get over there and you're going to find that it's worse than where you were. And so what have you done? So we try to share Christ where we are. And when you come to Christ, if you're in, in a church, you have people praying for you, walking with you, caring for you as you go back into the mission field to share Christ with folks. So Paul's words are very wise. So continuing on, we have uh, uh, some more things that can be, can be difficult to translate, but here we go. It says, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Okay? And just because, it means just because you come to Christ doesn't, doesn't give you a, an escape. You know, I've been wanting this other woman. No, you can't do that, okay? He says, stay with your wife. Um, do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? That means that either through divorce or death, okay? You've been released from that covenant. Then do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life and I am trying to spare you. Now, again, Paul is thinking that the Lord is, his return is imminent. And concerning the unmarried, Jesus did not give an explicit command in this. So sometimes people will say, well, that's just Paul's, his own opinion. You know, he drank a lot of coffee and started spousing some stuff. No, he's, he's clarifying that I, I, I am one of the apostles and the Lord is leading me in this, so the, what I am giving you is coming out of that authority. So it carries weight. Now, men and women are to remain as they are. If married, stay married. And if you come to Christ, honor the marital vows that you entered into, now more than ever. Because if you, if you were lost when you got married, and then you got saved like, like I did, okay, now you should really be honoring those marriage vows because now you're a representative of Christ in that marriage. And so remain as you are and serve Him. He's not telling you just because you come to Christ, pull yourself out. In the book of Hebrews, in 1024 and 25, where it says, don't give up meeting together or don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, People were pulling away from the culture. They didn't want to be around the minutiae and the mess. And he's saying, no, don't, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. In other words, be amongst the, the body of believers. So he says, stay where you are. And then if not married, remain as you are, and you can devote yourself to him. Now, there was one theologian, uh, John R.W. Stott. He, he uh, has some very... Uh, good Writings. That's the book that Reese and I went through on basic Christianity. John R.W. Stott is an incredible writer. He stayed single. He chose to do that so that he could fully devote himself to the Lord. He didn't say that this elevated him. He says, God has called me to serve him, and I am more available by remaining a single man. So Paul is saying that there's troubles that uh, he's trying to spare us of. What is he talking about? It's not sin. He's not talking about that. He's not saying that singleness is elevated. He's saying the troubles is the distress that comes with family life. Let me give you an example. When uh, I was 25 and my wife was 21, I didn't have a clue. Okay? <laughs> not one. I'm getting a little bit better, Okay? And so, uh, with the help of the Lord, okay? So, I didn't have a clue, all right? So, so what I'm trying to say is that when you get married, you, you try to figure each other out. You're learning how to do life. You're paying bills. You're, you're, you have children. You're buying diapers. You're doing all these other things that, that are perfectly fine, okay? But they're things that you do have to devote yourself to because your first ministry is to your family in serving the Lord. So, what Paul is saying is that you've got all these other things that you are going to have to deal with in, a, in, in establishing a home that 
you have to do that. He's saying if you're single, okay, you're not elevated, you don't have to worry about those things. You have more time to serve the Lord. And so he's just, he's just showing that, okay? Um, again, you have to take care of your spouse. I had one gentleman in North Carolina, golly, he says, yeah, I can't wait to get divorced so I can start serving the Lord. And I go, <laughs> we were in a, in a Books a Million. I don't know if they have any of those in Texas, but it's a Books a Million bookstore. <laughs> And I go, I don't think that's what the Lord has in mind, brother. <laughs> you know, I mean, I thought I'd, I thought I'd heard it all. But no, he said that. He says, no, that's not how it works. And uh, so, uh, and again, the present situation, whatever the distress is, it could be believers living in that culture, uh, thinking that the Lord's coming back soon or whatever. He's saying he wished that he could, everybody could be as devoted he, they could devote the same amount of time to the Lord that Paul is. But again, he elevates nobody. So serve the Lord where you are. Okay. But of this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and that has been taken out of context, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. Oh my gosh, what in the world's going on here? <laughs> okay, let's try to break this down a little bit. Okay, so what he's saying is, is the husband and the wife relationship is is not the priority. Okay, because when the husband and wife make their marriage, the priority. Let me show you what that looks like. Whenever I counsel someone and, I, and I'm going to do their wedding, I tell them, tell me now, because the Sunday after you get married, are you going to forego church from this point forward? If they ever tell me yes, I go, I'm, I'm not going to do your, your wedding. Because the, every marriage that I've ever done short of, in fact, practically all of them, when they stopped going to church, I didn't see them in the worship service. I saw them in the office. And so what they did was is they made their, their, their living together the priority. It is a priority, but it can't be the priority because when it becomes the priority, your eyes are off the Lord. And so what Paul is saying is, is that even though you're married, you, you still need to have your eyes on the Lord. See, they focused on one another and gave up meeting together. They gave up being around the people of God and worshiping God. And so, um, he's saying that that is not what we are to be doing. Christ is. So, so, serve your spouse and family, but keep Christ in service to Him as the priority. Does that mean that you are at church every Sunday? No. There may be times that your wife is sick and, and you need to stay home. You, you need to do that. Or we... Is Miss Judy Spradley in here? Okay, Miss Judy Spradley, her husband was sick for many years. There were a lot of times that she couldn't be here. But that was a kingdom woman, and she took care of her husband until such time as he passed. That is the priority, but she still kept Jesus first. So that would be a good example of what Paul is saying here. Okay, so um, Christ is number one, but you still have to minister uh, within your family. And then verse 30, sorrows and joys and possessions in life should never be given a place of undue consideration in our lives. So that we can have all of these things that are going on in life. We can be, we can be going through life and as we're going to Christ, if I've got this issue going on over here, it's a sideshow. It is important. We have to handle these things. But we keep, throughout Scripture, we keep our eyes on Christ. We keep our eyes on the cross. We keep moving forward to Christ so that if we're moving forward to Him, I'm in the best position to handle these things that, that are all around me. And so that may be something that is uh, a possession in life, a joy, a sorrow, or whatever. But I handle those things. When I love Him most, I can handle them best. When I love Him most, I can love my wife best. And so we keep Christ first. And then in 31, um, there are mundane things in this life that we don't need um, to... There are these things that we do, 
and we do not need to use the things of this world to live. Okay, I'm sorry, and we do use the things of the world to live, but it is all going to pass away. Do you remember when it said food is, is, uh, uh, is not for the stomach, stomach's not for food? It's talking about temporary things. Realize that there are things in this life that are temporary. And in the context of that teaching, in surrounding all that, it was talking about inappropriate relationships that that serves as a pleasure, but for a moment, then it's gone. Don't serve the things that are temporary. Serve the things that are eternal. And this earth is not eternal. Everything is going to fade away. So keep our eyes, of course, on Christ, but however what we use, use sparingly. Those, that is a very difficult bracket of Scripture to translate. It is not the most difficult in this chapter, though. So um, as I was researching this, I tried to capture them as, as short as I could, but get it uh, as, as close to the original meaning as possible. And then we go into 32 to 35, okay? He says, but I want you to be free from, uh, to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he will please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And again, so far, Paul says every bit of that is good. You are to be concerned about your spouse. You can't neglect your spouse and then go serve the Lord. This I say for your own benefit, not to put restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So, again... He keeps hitting on this, the unmarried state, you have opportunity to serve the Lord. For instance, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I have been taken off Thursdays uh, from work, taking vacation, as I'm trying to finish out my, the requirements for my degree that I'm pursuing. Um, tomorrow, my son, is, they go to school in Belleville. He's, he's uh, part of the photography and video for the football team, so they're in a parade. I thought I was going to have uninterrupted study tomorrow. We'll come to find out, not only did I got to take him to the Austin County Fairgrounds, I'm going to watch him in the parade. Now, that is where I need to be, and I want to be there. But there are other things that I need to do, and I'm not saying that I wish I didn't have to do that. I'm just saying those are things that we have when you have a family. Okay, you just got to balance those things. And Paul is simply saying that those are the things that I don't have to deal with. I can fully uh, serve the Lord with all of my time. However, if I neglected my son and I didn't go there, what is my son's opinion going to be of what I'm doing right now? He's going to have the wrong feeling for what's going on, and that is not good. So I just have to balance that. And so, again, that, that we want to emphasize that's what Paul is saying. And then the family life has things to, to take care of. And devotion to God, wherever it is that you are, is what is most important. Like Judy Spradley, she had to take care of her husband. She would come to meetings when she could. She balanced this. Okay, here's one that is one of the most difficult verses to translate uh, in, this, in this book. And I've given a couple of different things there. Okay, but if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, um, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, that in other words, she is getting older to where if she's going to have children, she needs to begin pretty soon. And if that is to be so, let him do what he wishes, but he does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided this in his heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will, do, he, will, he will do well. So then both he who gives his virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does give her in marriage will do better, or her does not give. I'm sorry, there's a lot of there. It's very, very choppy wording because it is very difficult to translate. Because again, I, we don't know the question specifically that Paul... these. Most likely, Paul is addressing a specific situation 
that we don't have the context of knowing the question. So I want to give you a couple of different things there. It's very difficult. So when we come to the word virgin, it could also mean virginity, okay? Also, daughter is not in the Greek. The word daughter is added. That's why I have it highlighted. So the word daughter is not there, okay? So one translation or one idea of this is that there were fathers who had come to Christ and they dedicated their daughter. She was unmarried and they dedicated their daughter similar to like a nun, okay? They would not get married uh, to God and they remained virgins and they were growing older. And so um, fathers in that culture very much controlled the household in their daughter getting married or allowing them to get married, uh, and, and, and those things. So what Paul is saying is, is if that is the case, fathers, and you are said that your daughter, uh, you're dedicating her to the Lord, you don't want her to get married. What Paul is saying, let me clarify this. If your uh, daughter wants to marry, it is okay. Even if, father, you dedicated her to the Lord, it is okay for her to be married. And then the single state, again, is not more spiritual. It's just easier. There's no sin if she marries, and there's no sin if she remains single. Now, that is one way of translating that. Okay, so another way is this. This is another interpretation. Is that Paul is speaking about a man because the word daughter is not in the Greek language. It's, it's, it's kind of, they've added it. And, and it may be speaking of his single state. He, has, he is a virgin and he has not married because the daughter is not there. Also, in her, it's neutral in language. It's not feminine. It's, it's neutral in its rendering. So, it could say that uh, we could read it like this. In, uh, let me go back. Okay. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly, now this is going to sound weird, but so just follow me. I'm only saying that this is one interpretation. Regardless of what interpretation we take, the end result is the same. So if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virginity, if he is past his youth, and if he, in other words, he is aging, and if he must do so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, he is to marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, has, but has authority over his own will and has declined this in his heart to keep his own virginity, because daughter's not there, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own uh, virginity in marriage does well, and he who does not give his virginity in marriage will do better. That sounds odd, okay? We have to understand, you have to look what comes before it and what comes after it. All right? Because the word daughter is not in any of the text that, that, that's there. So, it's, again, it's very difficult. So, regardless, okay, look at this. Regardless of how you translate it, does not change Paul's overall message that marriage is no more holy than singleness. You don't have to remain in a state of virginity to be more holy than one who has entered into marriage. Because if we were, if you think that singleness is more holy, that goes against Genesis two twenty four uh, or one twenty four, where it says, "For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, cling to his wife; who shall become one flesh." And then Jesus repeated that. Okay, and, it's and then the context is repeated again in Ephesians five. So we. Paul is saying that, that he, you, know what, you know what Paul is saying? He says, quit being legalistic about these various things. If you're married, stay married, honor the marriage. If you're single, stay single if you can and serve the Lord. Serve the Lord wherever it is you are. So we could boil that down into that. So it's wherever it is that you are, serve the Lord. If you're betrothed and engaged, honor that relationship. Don't just pull out of the relationship. Honor it. Now, if you come to Christ and y'all are, are engaged and you 
one of you comes to Christ and the other has not accepted Christ, don't follow through with that marriage. You need to stop and, and make sure that that other person gets saved because if you're unequally yoked, you're not supposed to be married because you're entering into a marriage and you're trying to live for Christ and the other one isn't. There's, you're already going to have this, okay? That's already going to happen. That's a given. They don't tell you that, but that's what's going to happen, okay? And it's going to be harder if one is trying to live for Christ and the other isn't. Only by each other living for Christ can you work this out. Again, very difficult to translate. Which one would I choose? Both arguments, when I'm reading, I'm reading people a whole lot smarter than me, they make a case for both arguments, and so I'm neutral. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a lot of people a whole lot smarter than me, and so I'm, I'm reading them. So I just say, uh, I, will, I will say that there's, there's two different arguments, but the end result is the same, okay? Okay, verse 39 and 40. Here's where we get into uh, some things that, that are helpful in other portions of Scripture. So, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. That means that she is bound to the, the marriage. Now, again, okay, in that culture... Uh, when the men, if typically the wife uh, would be in the house taking care of the children and the men would be out working and doing those things and the working conditions and OSHA wasn't around and all of those things. And so frequently the, the man would, would die, okay? So we have to realize that this is the culture in which we're living. Okay, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Only in the Lord. That's important. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And then there's a little sarcastic, there's humor in the Bible. Paul is giving a very sarcastic statement here. He's writing to the Corinthians, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Okay, let's talk about what that is. All right, so if a husband dies, the wife, the widow, is free to remarry because when the husband dies, the covenant of marriage is no longer intact. The covenant has ended. It's dissolved. You're no longer bound by that covenant and is free to remarry um, there. But she, she does not have to remain single biblically. In the Roman culture, they wanted you to because you didn't have the social system that we have today. Um, this would provide for the social well-being if someone would remarry. The, the households would be more stable. But she does not have to remain single. She is uh, uh, able to remarry. Now, in the context of all of this, the same thing would be for the men. Okay, the, the, it would be applicable because the covenant's a one flesh union. So if the man's wife passed away, okay, then he would be free of the covenant is no longer in effect and he could go and remarry. Now, if she or he wants to remarry, she's free to do so. Marry anyone she wants. It is to be in the Lord. In other words, believer's marriage. So if you are saved and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is important that you marry someone that is saved. Now, let me go ahead and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust on the men here, but I'm going to talk to the ladies. Ladies, do not marry a man that is significantly spiritually immature compared to you. Because biblically speaking, God holds the man accountable for what takes place in the home. Doesn't mean he has to make the most money. Doesn't mean he's the smartest. It doesn't mean that he is the one that has to work. It means that God holds him accountable for what goes on in the home. God will hold him accountable. So, ladies, if you marry somebody and it is, it is, imper it is important that that the, the man would be a follower of Christ that has an interest in the Word of God, and then I would go ahead and say that perhaps he has walked with the Lord for quite some time, or he is engaged in that and being mentored. Because it, I don't have time to go into it all. It just makes it work. It, it does, okay? That round peg fits in that round hole when when the man is leading biblically as he should. Does that mean that he makes all the decisions? No. Does that mean he comes up with all the decisions? No. Does that mean that he is uh, 
He's to bite his fingernails down to the quick when he can't make the decision. No, he consults with his wife. They work together. But God's going to hold the man to make a decision in that. And then it, uh, it is to be the will of God. She can marry, get this, it has to be the will of God. What we think, well, I can just marry someone that's saved. No, you can marry another Christian and still be out of the will of God. Just because they're a believer doesn't mean that they're the ones that God wants you to marry. Don't think just because they're a good old church boy that you can, you can marry them. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You can be out of the will of God and marry a Christian. It's, not that, it's just not that simple. So what this means is, this is the verse. That, remember when I told you I asked everybody that I ever married, uh, why are you getting married? And I told you every 100% of the time, they make me happy. That's a selfish answer. Never once does anybody ever say that God, I feel that God is bringing us together because they are the one that God has groomed me for and we will serve him. Never. Okay? So we just, we just get there. So you can still marry a Christian and be out of the will of God. So... um. This requires that both of them seek the Lord and seek God's direction before eloping or going off and getting married. You want to seek the Lord's will. Because you, do you realize that when we do, the, when we do a, a wedding, I mean, think about this, when all those people that are there in your, in your audience, that they're, they're, oh, and by the way, men, uh, nobody stands up for you at the wedding. They stand up for the wife, okay? Let's just go and get that out of the way. Uh, the guys are going to be mad at me later. But think, all those witnesses are there. They're there to hold you accountable to that marriage. They're not there just for, for uh, wine and steak, okay? They're there to hold you accountable in your marriage. And by you sending the invitation, do you know what you're doing? You're inviting them to help hold you accountable in that marriage. They're witnesses to covenantal marriage. Okay, that's why we can't take this so flippantly. It's, it's got to be uh, there. Now, I didn't know any of this stuff when I got married. I didn't know a thing, okay? I was, uh, I'm going to tell on myself. I didn't know I was supposed to pay the preacher. And my wife came up, and my mom came up to me, and she goes, you know, Alan, um, I can't believe this is on the tape, but uh, on the CD, but uh, just show you how, how green I was. My mom said, uh, you know, Alan, you're supposed to pay the preacher. And I go, oh, I didn't know a thing about that. And so uh, uh, <laughs> I offered to pay him with a traveler's check. <laughs> oh, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. I did not know a thing. I, I, I was not taught. I was not taught. And I, and I want to help people not be where I was I want to because I don't ever want to be there and so that's why there's a burden for me why I'm so I'm so passionate about this because I want people to know what what God wants for them in their marriage okay none of you can say that to my wife okay please don't say that when you see her on Sunday okay but now um so believers again seeking a first marriage would have to do the same okay they they need to go to the Lord and that the Lord would bring them together and, and diligently pray about that. And the Lord might not give you an answer. Okay? He may not. Okay? He, he, so, um, just but go to Him and ask Him to honor the marriage. And then again, singleness has some, uh, some advantages. Now, in the very end, Paul's given a little wisecrack here. Because we see earlier in the, in the book um, uh, there that people are acting like... Um, that they have this, this great knowledge. And so at the end of this, Paul makes this wisecrack to them. He goes, oh, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. So he's popping. There's a little sarcasm there that's in Scripture going back to the, to the Corinthians there. So um, with that said, where, where you're saved, honor that where you are to the best of your ability. And uh, we saw from the previous chapter, if you come to Christ and your spouse has not come to Christ, then your primary ministry is there with your spouse and your children. 
and then of course where you work. Now that um, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like warfare. If you have a have a spy on the inside of, of an organization, you can find out about the organization and you can influence other people. But now Christ has an ambassador in that organization. Share Christ uh, as you can to win some to Christ to transform that organization from within. He may have picked you to be uh, a transforming agent there. And then uh, if single, it's fine to stay single. If it's married, it's fine to stay married. You're engaged, uh, honor that. Uh, and then if your spouse passes, um, you're free. You're free to remarry, but then go, of course, um, uh, to the Lord in that. So with that said, um, I, we will break up. I, I uh, have the questions. I'm trying to get a little bit more asking how you go about doing these things in, in the questions. So as we break up, Rob Moshak is not here so I am going to fill in for his group in the back, uh, back there. Uh, uh, Leah, would you raise your hand in the back? That's where Rob normally sits. So I'm going to go back there. If anybody wants to be in Rob's group, I will fill in for him as he and his wife are both uh, out of town. And then Robert Rockwine, are you here? He's going to be gone? Okay. So if, if, if you, I know Robert's a lot better looking than me, but if y'all want to, in Robert's group, if y'all want to go back there, you can. Larry, are you here? I saw you, Larry, yes. Larry, are you right here? Okay, Larry is here in Larry's group. And Jim Gribble, are you at? Jim, oh, there you are, Jim, I'm sorry. In the back, back there. And then Lauren, you're right by that good-looking guy right there, Walter Sinsett. And then Nathan is in the back, back over here. Okay. And then Kyle, is that's your seat. That's your seat on Sunday morning, isn't it? We're going to sign that to you. Danny's in the back. And then Robert Buckman, are you here? Robert is still possibly in Austin. I'm sorry? He's over there. Okay. So if, uh, if you were in Robert's group, or Robert Buckman, Robert Rackwine, or Rob, I'll be in the back if you want to go back there. You can. You don't have to come to my group. Um, not at all. So if you would, let's go ahead and break up. And in about 36 or 7 minutes, we'll, we'll uh, uh, close it down.